Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. This may be the worst feeling you could have as a kid when you find out that you're in trouble from your parents, right? And I don't know what it was like in your house. It was worse to be in trouble with mom or dad. Um, my dad was gone a lot, so I always kind of associate like, oh, I get in trouble with mom. And, and I had an older brother, and, and so a lot of times with the siblings, you, if you grew up with siblings, you know how this is. If you're in trouble, they're going to tell you and let you know that you're in trouble. Like they're, they're going to announce it, you know, like, like, like uh, announcing the dead, you know, like you're going to get it when mom gets home or like, oh boy, you're in trouble. Like, you remember, did anyone have that, that feeling, that experience growing up? Yeah, I, I did things. I did some things that, you know, I got in trouble for, like everyone else. Um, I was told not to swing the golf club in the house. Um, I swung the golf club in the house, and I hit uh, this, like, chandelier light that hung over our dining room table, and it had these panes, and I cracked one of the panes. Um, and I just thought, you know, they're probably not going to notice, because they weren't home. And I was like, I'm not going to tell them I did that. They're not going to notice because they're parents, which means they're old and they have bad eyesight. They're not going to know that I cracked the pain. <laughs> but they found out, they figured it out that, hmm, that doesn't look right. And then, you know, they came to me and, and I got in trouble uh, because that's not cool. Uh, another time, um, I overflowed the toilet in our bathroom and water and other liquids went everywhere um, in, in our bathroom, which would which would be bad on its own. Like, yeah, like I, it's not like I did it on purpose, right? It's bad, but um, for whatever reason, our, our, our bathroom was carpeted. And I don't, I don't know why anyone thought that was a good idea, you know? Like, take the, take the one room in the house where everything will be eventually wet and just put carpet down. And so the carpet was down, and my mom, my mom came in and, like, fixed it, and she said some words that day to me. <laughs> That I that I that I cannot repeat and I will never forget. But it was like it was a it was a bad scene, right? And I, I messed up and she was not happy. I was I was in trouble. And 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 as we get older, uh, we we get in trouble, right? Stuff happens, not just the kids stuff, but as as we get to be adults, we get in trouble for other things, not just with our parents. And um, you know the 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 stakes get higher. It, I, I, it's not like, oh, I busted the chandelier and I'm grounded or whatever. The stakes get higher as adults. We get in trouble. We go, we go to jail. We get arrested. We get tickets. We get our wages garnished. Uh, we get, you know, just all sort of relational fallout. We lose jobs. Like, there's just trouble that we can get into as adults that's, that can be pretty pretty bad. And, and And you know what that's like for some of you. Some of the trouble you've gotten in as an adult has been pretty minor. Um, maybe you've lost a job or, or uh, someone broke up with you because you did something stupid or, you know, maybe there's been some of those things in your life. And maybe for some of you, the trouble you've gotten in has been pretty major. You've, you've lost some, some serious relationships. You've lost a job. You've, you've been injured. Uh, just stuff has happened where you've gotten into a lot of trouble. And so I want to I talk about um, where we go or how we feel or 
what can we do when we're in trouble? We talked uh, in weeks past, we talked about when you've messed up. But when you're in trouble, it's not always because you've messed up. Sometimes just stuff happens around you. And so I want to talk about this idea of, of being in trouble and where do we go with that. We've been in this series, Rachel mentioned it, we're doing this series called The, the Songs That Jesus Sang. And we're looking at the Psalms from the Old Testament. Uh, there's 150 Psalms in the Old Testament. We're looking at just a, a few of them in this series. And these are, are ba- the, that's basically like the songbook of the, of the Israelite people, the Hebrews. Uh, and so they would have known these songs. And so when Jesus walks the earth 2,000 years ago, these are songs he would have known by heart, and he would have sang them. And him and his friends, they would, they would sing these songs. And so... Um, we think there's a lot of things that are in the Psalms that really relate to the emotions that we all still feel today. And there's a lot of things in there that are helpful and instructive. So I want to look at a Psalm that uh, is really helpful for when we, are, when we feel like we are in trouble. The Psalm that uh, Jack read to us, Psalm 91. Interesting with Psalm 91, uh, I was just actually reading this week, Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus is tempted by Satan. Satan, Jesus fasts for 40 days, and he's out there hungry and tired and, you know, hasn't had anything, and Satan comes to tempt him. You may have read this story before. Well, Satan tempts him and says three things to him, basically like, oh, you should worship me and all that. But at one point, Satan actually quotes Scripture to Jesus, which ultimately Jesus wrote all the Scripture, so he's like quoting his own words to him, you know? And Jesus is like, these are wise word enterprising men, quote them, check out, you know, you guys, because I wrote them. You know, like, Jesus, like they're basically having a rap battle uh, of, of psalms. Uh, and so he's, he's coming at him, and he says, uh, and, and he quotes Psalm 91, which we're going to read here in a second, to Jesus. And then Jesus has to come back at him, and, and, and they kind of go back and forth with this. So I want to look at Psalm 91. I think this is a really good psalm for when, we, when we're in trouble, when... You know, the enemies are closing in. It does not look good around us. Uh, Things are bad. Uh, Psalm 91, let's do one through four. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. All right, so... David writes this, right? And he's writing about a relationship with God. And he says, look, if you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, if you're with God, uh, you abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He is going to be a refuge and a a fortress. He's going to uh, cover you. He's going to be a shelter. His wings will be over you. You hear this this idea of wings shows up um, in the Old Testament, that we're covered under his wings. Basically, uh, generally, the idea is if you stick with God, he will cover you and care for you, and he's going to take care of you. Um, there's a Hebrew word in here that shows up and for the word refuge that I want to talk about because I think it's an important concept. Uh, the, the word refuge is a, is a Hebrew word. I guess it's pronounced like makse, and um, it's what you might think. It's a place, of, uh, place where we can be safe and, and just free from danger. Now, David calls God in this psalm, he calls God our refuge, and we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But there are actually other usages of refuge in the Scripture that I think are pretty useful for us to talk about. Um, Particularly in Numbers chapter 35, you have this situation where the Israelites are going to go into the promised land. 
They're going to go across the Jordan River um, into an area today called the West Bank, if you've heard that in the news. Uh, They're going to go into this area. They're going to capture these cities that the Canaanites had and uh, Jericho and all these other cities. You've probably heard about that. And um, God instructs them, and this is 1404 BC. So they're going to go in and and capture this land and, and live there. And that is going to be controversial until the present day. There's still going to be issues about that whole thing, right? So they go in there, um, they, they, they take this land, and uh, God says to them, when you go in, you're going to take six cities, and you're going to set them up to be cities of refuge, is the way they're described. Now, cities of refuge, and he names which cities they're going to be. Cities of refuge are set up as a place for people who, it seems very odd and specific, but for people who commit manslaughter, right? So they kill someone accidentally. That can happen. It happens. Rather than the family of the person who's been murdered, like seek justice against this person or whatever, you could go to a city of refuge and there, there would be a system set up for you to be cared for and you could receive help and support there if you've involuntarily killed someone. So there's the cities of refuge. And this wasn't just set up for Israelites, it was set up for anybody, anyone who was living in the land who would be there. This was a place that you could go. And the idea was if you go here, um, even if you've committed manslaughter, you can go here and you can be safe. Cities have historically always been a refuge for uh, people in trouble, for the weak, uh, for the struggling, for people who are hurting. It's, it's, it's kind of always been that way. Historically, because cities had two things that you don't have in the country. Uh, Cities have walls and they have numbers. So a wall is pretty useful if you're going to keep wild animals out and other like invading armies and things like that. If you have a wall around your city, you you go, okay, we can be safe here on the inside. A wall does that. And then numbers, like you've got a lot of people. And so it allows... There's a lot of eyeballs to keep track of you and are you okay and people got their eye on you and you're not just kind of wandering off by yourself. And, and your, your people, you can sort of find your people in, in the city. Um, out in the wilderness, that was not the case. In fact, uh, the word civilization comes from the Latin word civitas, which means city. So really civilization is kind of like cityization is, is a kind of a way to think about it. Um, so uh, if, you're out, if you're out of civilization, if you're out of the city, and you get into a fight with someone, there's no justice there. It's, it's the, the marauding band of rebels and vigilantes and all that kind of thing. There's kind of that whole scene out there. But if you go to the city, you can find refuge. You can go there and get a trial. You can be protected. Um, and so that's historically what cities have been. But I would argue that even today, cities are still a place for people who feel weak or who are in trouble or who feel uh, powerless. I I would say that even our cities now, without walls and stuff, yes, things have changed, but even now our cities are a place of refuge. Um, And you see this. If minority groups, if if you have immigrant populations come into a country, where do they go? They go to the cities, right? You go to a city because that's where you can find your people, 
and you can have some strength in numbers. You can be together. You don't immigrate to the country and then just end up out in the, in the wilderness somewhere. You go to where the people are. You go to the city because there's refuge there. There's, there's shelter there. There's people that can know you. This is why minority groups go, come into cities. This is why um, groups from a higher level of poverty uh, will flock to cities even today um, because there are, there's support there. There's, there's a refuge for people there. There's... Um, there's transport, public transportation, there's sidewalks, there's things that are set up in a city so that you can get to where you need to be. There's more maybe job opportunities for you there. Um, the, the, the city's just set up in a way that has an infrastructure that helps people who feel powerless or weak or underrepresented or poor. Um, and it, it, it functions that way. The suburbs do not function that way. Suburbs are all accessed by automobiles and it's a different, it's a different setup than than the cities. Um, so the cities historically have always been uh, a refuge. Any, any minority group can come to the city and have some sort of power or representation. Because outside of a city, you can feel like a freak. Like, here's an example. Uh, if you are single and you want to find someone to marry and you live in a small town, it's difficult, right? Because there, you're gonna, they're going to be like, oh, you're, you're, you're this single woman or man, you know? You're kind of a, you're this freak person, like, in our little town, because everybody here is married off, and everybody will know your business, and they're going to try to maybe get you married to the one single person, the other single person they could find. But in a small town, your odds of finding someone to marry are not good, unless, and I've seen this play out, unless you happen to own a hardware store and you wear flannel and the big shot lawyer comes home from the big city for Christmas and happens to meet you there, then you can get together. But that doesn't happen as much as the movies would make you think it happens. It doesn't happen hardly at all, but it's a thing. Outside of that, the reason you would come to the city is because there are other single people there. Like, you can meet one another. You're not, you're not this weird, isolated person in the small town. Like, the big city has more of your people. And that's great. That's a great thing about being in the city is um, no matter who you are, there's a better chance that in the city you can find your people. Um, so cities are a, a city of refuge, are places of refuge even to this day. Not, not necessarily for manslaughter, not in the same way, but in, in a lot of other ways. Now our church, you know this because you're sitting here, our church is an urban church. Um, this is a, a, a city-focused um, city place. Uh, and a lot of you do not live in the city. And I've said, yeah, you don't have to live in the city. What we ask is just please love the city. Don't, you know, if you don't live there, that's fine, but love the city. Love, love this place and try to make it a place of refuge and try to make it a place that is better. Make the city better so that people who are in trouble, so that people who are outcasts, so that people who feel like a freak or something um, in, in their world, they can find um, a place of refuge. Um, and so as a church, we do what we can to make Richmond uh, a, a place of refuge and make it a better place. We've done this since our church launched. We've, we've poured into the city and done different projects. We were, uh, there's people from our church, part of a project last night around, around foster care and around foster parents for the city of Richmond, um, a way to bless the community. Uh, you're going to hear a lot more about this in about a month. At Advent, we are uh, doing a series at Advent this year called Christmas Time in the City. And we have three projects we're going to be focused on uh, of, of city city-engaged projects that we're going to raise uh, 
we're going to raise funds for and then we're going to serve in over the first half of 2024. So there's a lot to talk about. I'll save that all for about a month from now. But we are a city-focused uh, church. Um, but in addition to city being a place of refuge, the church is also supposed to be a place of refuge, which makes sense. If, if ultimately Jesus is our refuge and the church is called the body of Christ, then we are to be that refuge and point people to Jesus even within uh, the city. Um, so our church is supposed to be a, a place of refuge, which means when people come in here to this room or into any gathering that we have, whether it's a summer of fun event or a small group or, you know, a, a s'mores night or whatever, when people come in and get involved with this community in some way, um, the, we want to provide and, and make a space for people to find hope and for, for people to find healing, which means in, in, in the church, it means that the doors are open and People could come in that look different than you and that act different than you and maybe are different in some way. Um, and, and the question is, when they come into the church, do they find the church to be a place of refuge and healing? Uh, this is tough for any church to navigate. It is tough to, um, to show up for people that are hurting. Um, that is, that is not easy to do on a, on a large scale. Maybe you could show up for a friend, but as a church, how, how do we do this? Um, how do we be a refuge? Because a lot of people come to the church and they want the church to be the refuge from the craziness of the world. And I get that. It just depends on what you mean. You saw this in 2020 where uh, a lot of decisions were made government-wide that, that affected churches. And so you saw a lot of people having to make decisions about health and public health and should we do this, should we do this, and how do we handle this? And churches had to make all these calls themselves. Do we meet publicly? If so, in how big of a room? Do we, do we tell people they have to wear masks? Do we tell people they need to be vaccinated? Like all these decisions that we all walked through as churches, as companies, as individuals, right? We had, we had to navigate all that in 2020 as well. And, um, you know, we did what we could. We made the decisions that we made. Um, but you always saw, or you, you, what you saw during that time is that people left churches based on the decisions they were making about that stuff and joined other churches based on the decisions they were making about that stuff. And that was just, that was a hard time. It was hard to figure out. People were trying to navigate an unknown scenario, uh, the best information that they had, but it was difficult because there's a lot of relationships there that were strained. Some of you went, walked through that as well, uh, of, of difficult relationships. And people, um, so when people came to the church as a place of refuge, in some, in some cases in 2020, refuge was, well, you're just not, just don't do what this other church is doing and then, and then we're going to be great. And I don't know that that's exactly the refuge that we want to be as a refuge from other kinds of churches or whatever. We're, we're trying to be a place of hope and healing uh, where we point people to Jesus. Um, the reality is, though, um, when people walk into a church, um, you know, everybody wants to be with people that are like-minded. There are a range of, like, um, social views in this room, of political views, that kind of thing. But there is some like-mindedness in here, right? Like, this isn't, a, this isn't a gathering of atheists. It just isn't. Like, there are, I suppose, clubs for that. There's probably a meetup group for that if you want to do that. That's not what this is, right? Which is fine. There are, this isn't a, a church of where we follow Jesus and the teachings of Buddha and we're into Hinduism and, you know, and, 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 and. and. There, are, there are groups like that. This just isn't that. 
There's some, and, and if you went to a group like that, you'd be with like-minded people who want to do that thing. This is a church of Jesus, so we're like-minded in the sense that we're focused on him. We're trying to follow him the best we can and know him. Um, that, and, and, and yet, even in saying that's what we're doing here, we still want to be a refuge and a place of hope and healing for people who come from a wide variety of backgrounds. I, I want people who don't believe in God to be here. And, and we go, okay, cool, I'm so glad you're here. Let's, let's do this thing together, and we'll try to point you to him. And, you know, I, I can't make you fall in love with Jesus. I'm just going to try to set up a date. And you go, f- you know, see, let's just see what happens. Um, so people, people uh, come in here with a wide range of stuff going on in their lives. And um, we want to meet you where you are and, and try to, to point you to the hope and the healing that comes from being in a relationship with God, which means when you walk in this church and when you're part of it, um, we want to help, we want to listen, uh, we want to encourage, we want to point you to some, some answers, some, some healing, um, but um, we can't do it all, right? Like, you may need professional counseling and therapy. I'm a big fan of it. I think going to counseling especially when you're in a season where you feel stuck, uh, is fantastic. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a fan of that, and so we might point you there. You might need financial support that we can't offer you right now, so we might try to point you some resources there. You might need some coaching that we can't give right now, and we'll try to point you and connect you to resources. But you need to let us know, because we can't read your mind, and we don't know what you're walking through right now. Let us know, and then... We'll try to connect you up with someone who can help. Uh, not everyone in here can help everyone, but we're hoping that somebody can help someone, like that, that we can make a connection so that the church can really be a, a place of refuge. Um, because for all of us, man, there, there are just seasons where what you're carrying is just too heavy. Yeah, you should like shoulder your own load and all that. But even Scripture, in, in, in the very same Scripture where it talks about shouldering your own load, then it talks about carrying burdens with other people. And so there is this idea of there are things that we carry that's a lot and you just carry it by yourself. And then there are things where it's a lot and you go, hey, would you help me and walk with me? And so, um, you know, if, if, you're, if you're in need of support and help, you've you got to speak up. And then we'll, we'll try to connect you with what we can. And if you are in this room right now and you are not in a season where you're carrying a heavy load, if you're like, I'm good, I'm like, I, I, you know, 2022 is terrible or whatever, but like right now I'm in a good space. If you are in a good space, you also have a role here too. And your role is to keep your eyes open, your antenna up, and be looking for those who are in need so that you can carry with them. And then when you're in a bad spot, Hopefully, they'll be in a spot to carry, uh, to carry the burden with, with you. Um, that's, that's what we envision. So the city is meant to be a refuge. The church is also meant to be a refuge within the city. And, and, and that's my hope and prayer has always been for this church, that this will be a place where you can be welcomed. This is a place where the hungry are going to find food and the lost are going to get found and the lonely are going to find a friend and everybody is going to find God in this community. So, back to the psalm. David says um, God is a refuge. So, cities are refuge. God set them up. God set up cities are refuges. Uh, the church is a refuge. 
Um, and God himself is our refuge, is our fortress, is the way it's described in that psalm. Refuge and fortress. Now, here's the deal. It doesn't mean that nothing bad will happen to you just because you, you found your refuge in God. In fact, look, look where the verse uh, goes on, verse 5. Let me read it to you, and we'll put it up on the screen. We got verse 5. I don't know if I've got verse 5. Ah, there it is. It's just not on my screen. All right. There it is. Well, you can all see that. You read it. That's fine. You got it. <laughs> I'll, I'll read it to you from this book I have in front of me. Uh, Psalm 91.5. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. That in no way says that bad things will not happen. In fact, it gives you a laundry list of bad things that are going to happen. There is terror. There are errors. There is arrows. There is pestilence. I don't know, like viruses. I don't know, whatever. There's pestilence. A thousand may fall. Like bad stuff will happen. But God is a a, a refuge in that. Um, There's going to be stuff swirling all around you. And um, we are uh, never promise to be free of all suffering. Uh, we are going to go through suffering and pain as well, um, but, but God does say that the suffering is going to count for something when we are in his kingdom and we are following him. And so he's going to provide us some, some form of refuge, some sort of care, and, and be, be a fortress for us within uh, a, a world of a lot of hard stuff and a lot of, a lot of trouble when we're surrounded by trouble. Um, how can we make that, how will, how can we make that true? How will we be um, safe in God? How can he be our refuge? There's two because statements here that I want to point you to, and then we're done. Um, Psalm 91, verse 9, listen to the way further down, it says, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. Um, I had to think about that for a while because the idea that making God deity, right? You're thinking of God, the creator of the universe, making him my dwelling place. That's weird, right? Can we just all agree that like, the, the poetry of that is a little odd to us? Um, my dwelling place is two blocks from here. Uh, that's where I live. Like, this is my neighborhood. So my dwelling place is here, RVA, woo-woo. Like... Um, so when you say, like, God is my dwelling place, I'm like, that's kind of odd language. Um, but there's a long tradition in Christianity that, that we go, okay, we live here, but this world is not our home. We are only here for however many years, let's say 77 lifespan or in America or whatever. We're here for this many years, and that's what we got. But the truth is, um, God... Uh, we are made for something else. We are going to live in eternity with God, which means in light of eternity, our life here on earth and in this time is quite short, 75 years or something like that. And then uh, we have eternity to be with, with God. And so Christians have always understood that to mean um, that although we live here, mentally we live there. Or um, we need to think about how do I live like I'm living there while I'm physically living here. Right? We need to kind of get that connection. Um, and I think that's possible to live here, to make our dwelling place in God, to live here, um, 
to live there even while we're living here means we make decisions based on the next life, not just on this life. Literally, this means like we spend time, we spend money, we spend our energy, we spend those things here for things that have kingdom value and long-range purpose. We give money to the kingdom of God here. We pour our, our time and invest in, like, like people were doing yesterday, in, in foster care and in, in other things. We are pouring into things here um, that, that might have a long-term and eternal impact. And we don't just spend all of our time, money, and energy on ourselves and on making our lives here on earth in the time that we have as comfortable as possible. Um, we, we invest here to make this more of a place of refuge. We connect here. We serve here. We love here. We pray here with one another. We bring meals to people. We're, we don't ask you to do any of that stuff as a church. We don't ask you to make your busy lives more busy. We ask you because we are the people who are trying to live there even while we live here. We are kingdom-minded people, and we're trying to figure out how do I align my money, my time, my energy? How do I align all that stuff so that I'm living for uh, a deeper purpose? Um, No matter uh, where you come from, no matter what country you're from originally, no matter what part of town you live in, the truth is you are are God's, you are his. And and I want to remind you of that because the arrows will come and the pestilence will come and we're going to be surrounded by some stuff, and we need to be the people who are dialed into God. And So to that end, I would say this. Go to God when things are good, so you are already with him when trouble comes. Go to God when things are good, so you're already with him when trouble comes. My friend Brandon here at the church, he always says, uh, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. I love that. Fair point. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Um, I don't know when Jesus returns. I don't know uh, when the world as we know it will change and there's going to be this eternal kingdom. Um, I don't have dates. There's a lot of people who, um, particularly when things happen in Israel, there's a lot of people who start looking at, oh, the Bible says this and it's, this is going to happen and we're in the last days on here, here on earth. And um, I, I don't know. Um, I know that for the last 2,000 years, there have been Christians that have said we're in the last days, and I guess they've all been wrong. Uh, And so if we say it right now, we might be wrong, but it will be right one time. (laughs) There there will be a time when we're like, man, this is is the end of days. There's a new thing. God is doing a new thing on earth. Um, And so we need to be prepared, and I can't uh, predict when any of that's going to happen, but I want to stay ready so I don't have to get ready. I want to be with God now so that whatever trouble comes, um, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. Um, so, this, so um, one, we dwell with him, right, because we've made our dwelling with him. And then secondly, there's another because statement, and th- there's another way that I think we can make God our refuge. Psalm 91 um, Verse 14, I'll put up on the screen, says this. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Because he holds fast to me in love. This is your, this is your part. This is my part. Because we are holding fast to God in love. That's talking about us, not about God. Because he holds fast to me. This is God talking. Um, because our role is to hold on t- to God, to hold on to Jesus. Um, we don't initiate the relationship. Um, we didn't die for us. He died for us. But we hold on to the relationship. 
we remain, we, we, we grab onto him and say, I'm going to hold fast. And I love that it says hold fast in love because hold fast in ritual is different. You can go through the motions of something. You can hold fast in a ritual. You can hold fast in religious ideas, right? But this is saying hold fast in love. That is relational language. That is saying stick with me. We are in this together, God, you and I. And so, we, again, we don't initiate the relationship. Our role with God, to make God our refuge, our role is to just hold on to him and stick with him. Um, and if we do that, he will, um, he will walk with us. He will bring us peace. Um, this is not easy because there's a lot of things that are going to make you not hold fast to Jesus. There's a lot of things that derail us. Uh, money is a big one. Money will derail us, the, the struggle for money. Um, family matters. Uh, your dad and your sister and your, your child, like that stuff can derail us and it will make us not hold fast to Jesus. Um, people whose faith get rocked when someone dies, we lose someone close to us. That, can, that stuff, and I get it, that stuff can totally derail us. When we ask hard questions and we don't get good answers, sometimes that stuff can really derail us and make us not hold fast to Jesus. Um, when there's a war, when there's a war in Israel, when there are political parties saying things that we believe in and we, or that we don't believe in, or political parties claiming Jesus that we don't like, and all that kind of stuff, all of that can derail us from holding fast to God. Um, and, I, and I get that. But here's what I want to offer on that. And we'll, we'll finish with this. Um, relationships, holding fast to God and having a relationship with Him, this takes time. There's just no substitute for time in relationships, right? Um, you can't, you can meet someone, have a connection. You go, oh, I, I, we get each other pretty quickly. But relationships take time. You can't microwave uh, closeness. You need something that plays out over the years. And you may read the Psalms like we're doing. You may even read Psalm 91 and go like, I mean, I intellectually get it but I'm not feeling it when I'm in trouble. I get that. I guess what I would say is um, it takes time. Read it again and again and sit with it over months, years, decades. And it, and it eventually sinks in deeper than your head. It sinks into your heart. And you go, man, I don't just believe this intellectually, but I, I kind of believe it experientially, and, and I believe it in, in my heart. So uh, log the time, pray, worship, read, listen to him. And maybe that sounds mystical to you, and maybe depending on your personality, that's a little too touchy-feely, this idea that it's got to be this experiential relationship, but that's what I got to give you. Uh, it's not a relationship with God over the long term and seeing him as your refuge is not going to be just an intellectual decision that you or anybody makes. It is going to be, is going to come out of a long-term relationship. Um, yes, there's going to be a knowledge component, but there's also this experiential component to it. So when you're in trouble, take refuge in him. Last thing I want to give you is uh, that card you got when you came in. 
If you, if you look at that card, it is Psalm 91 that we just read. It's the verses, I, we started verse 14, but it's the rest of that verse 14 through 16 or 17. Um, if you go back and read that at the end of that psalm or just look at it on that card, um, it, it, the verse starts with, because he loves me, because he holds fast to me, whatever, declares the Lord, I will you know, do these things for him. Um, I want you to take that card, and you can do this now, you can do it later. I want you to write your name in the blank. Now, there's a lot of blanks there. Some of them are long, some of them are short. You could maybe write your name in the longer blank, and in the shorter blank, you can write your pronoun in there. Because I want you to personalize it as a promise to God, from God to you. Um, because, you know, if I'm to read it from it, because Chris loves me, I will, with long life, I will su- support him, honor him, you know, that kind of thing. Um, take that card, write your own name and pronouns in there, um, and maybe just like, Put that on the fridge, put that on the dashboard of your car, put that somewhere where you're going to see it regularly as a reminder of this is my, God is my refuge and this is actually what he has promised to me. And read that card, especially when you're in times of trouble. Let's pray. God, thank you for the refuge that you set up in the world, that you set up cities to be a place of refuge for Um, people who are struggling and maybe underrepresented. You set up the church to be a refuge um, from a a different way of being a different kingdom than the way the world functions with its economy and politics and all those things. But uh, ultimately, you've set yourself up to be a refuge for us, that we can come to you, that you can deliver us, you can help us. Um, God, this we wish this meant that every time we come to you, you you remove us from any pain or hurt. Um, But I think what it actually means is that, um, God, when we come to you in trouble and all that, um, you can um, care for us in the pain and hurt, and we can grow stronger and come out of it on the other side in in potentially a a better place. So, uh, God, we come to you as our refuge. Uh, May you be that for us individually. May you be that for us as a church. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.